Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing today with Isaiah in chapter 10, and we're returning to this theme of judgment. Up until this point, we've seen the judgment of the northern kingdom, uh, northern kingdom of Israel, along with its ally Syria, and then judgment of the southern kingdom because of their injustice and refusal to trust God. And the instrument of this judge, judgment is uh, being used by God is the kingdom of Assyria. They're the ones that God is using to bring judgment upon these nations. But then the question comes up, well, what about Assyria? Do they get off scot-free? Well, that's what we're going to address today, or Isaiah is going to be addressing today, what happens with the kingdom of, of Assyria. So we're in chapter 10, and we're just going to be reading verses uh, 12 through 21. So Isaiah 10, starting in verse 12. After the Lord has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him, for he is proud and arrogant. He boasts, by my own powerful arm, I have done this. With my own shrewd wisdom, I planned it. I have broken down the defenses of nations and carried off their treasures. I have knocked down their kings like a bull. I have robbed their nests of riches and gathered up kingdoms as a farmer gathers eggs. No one can even flap a wing against me or utter a peep of protest. But can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it? Is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden cane walk by itself? Therefore, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, will send a plague among Assyria's proud troops and a flaming fire will consume its glory. The Lord, the light of Israel, will be a fire, and the Holy One will be a flame. He will devour the thorns and briars with fire, burning up the enemy in a single night. The Lord will consume Assyria's glory like a fire consumes a forest in a fruitful land. It will waste away like sick people in a plague. Of all that glorious forest, only a few trees will survive, so few that a child could count them. In that day, the remains left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them, but they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So even there in that closing, you see the reference to how Ahaz is really trusting in Assyria because of this backdoor deal that they had made. He thought that Assyria would bail them out, that whole enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. When they discover, well, no, the enemy of my enemy is still my enemy and uh, it's not going to go well. So this is the reason King Ahaz in the south didn't think that he needed to trust God. He didn't ask God for a sign, perhaps because he didn't want to anger him, but also because he wasn't truly depending on God. He was making this deal with Assyria against his neighbor to the north. So you have like Assyria, so you have uh, Judah and, and Israel, the sort of like brothers that have been split apart for as kingdoms these 200 years who are like using other enemies to get back at the other brother. And it's this kind of civil war in a lot of ways. But the question we end up with in all of this, if God is using Assyria, or that I end up with, if God is using Assyria to bring judgment, well, what about Assyria? Does Assyria get a pass for um, being used as God's tool to tear, tear down uh, injustice and unfaithfulness? Are they guiltless? Do they get kind of a get out of jail free card for being used as God's instrument? And kind of a related question, I think, is, you know, we're so often tempted to judge how well we are doing in our lives um, 
or, or in our lives with God based on external circumstances. So if life is going well, at least by external measures, we think God is pleased with us. And if life is not going well, we're tempted to think that God is not, not pleased with us. And yet there's a consistent theme throughout scripture that this is not the case, that we cannot measure God, our relationship with God based on external circumstances. We have the book of Job. We have how Moses goes from being a prince to uh, to, to a shepherd. These are not, uh, in the eyes of the world, this is kind of like demotions or, 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 or going in from a good place to a bad place, but, but it's not. We can't measure by these external circumstances. And right here, Isaiah is saying, look, um, God can use even evil things like this empire as a tool of judgment to tear down injustice. But are they guiltless in that? No, they will be held just as accountable as the people who are falling under uh, judgment. And I think that applies then also in the reverse, like when God sometimes uses uh, the kingdom of Israel as a uh, tool of judgment upon others, or if God uses us in, 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 in some way to bring about justice, to be careful that we don't take delight in it in such a way that we think we're somehow above it all. And again, I think for me, the thing I see shining through here clearly is that success at least worldly success, is not a mark of God's favor. And this is a lesson that should be clear from the beginning. Look at even the the, the hall of heroes in, in the book of Hebrews and just how so many of them uh, did not receive in this life the things that they were looking forward to. Judged by external circumstances, you might think that they are failures, but instead they are marked as heroes of the faith. And so faithfulness in the end, uh, like it says in Hebrews, faithfulness is the real measure of success. It's the real ultimate measure of, of a life well-lived, uh, faithfully following and displaying the character and priorities uh, that are priorities of, of God's own character, things that we call, for instance, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. Uh, these are things that will um, mark a life well lived. And there are things that, as we saw in the previous passage, mark the Messiah as well, that his kingdom is going to be one where peace and justice will reign forever. And so we're preparing to be successful, not in this kingdom, not in this world, as much as we are prepared, being prepared for a good life and a successful life, if that's even the right word, uh, in the kingdom to come that's being inaugurated, has been inaugurated by Jesus and will be brought into fulfillment when Christ returns for us. So, uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see here in this passage. You know, this passage, uh, Isaiah 10, actually, I, I, I literally remember exactly where I was. Uh, maybe not the first time I read it. I don't know if it was the first time I read it or not, but it was surely the first time I, I, I realized what I was reading. Uh, and I, I, I'd been reading this. This is back uh, in, in the uh, right around 1992 uh, would have been the time when I was reading this. And uh and the part that really struck me actually was verse starting in verse five, a little earlier, sort of the, the, the lead up to what we just read. Um, it says, what sorrow awaits Assyria, the rod of my anger. He's saying Assyria is just a rod, you know, a, a stick. He said, I use it, I use Assyria as a club to express my anger. I'm sending Assyria against a godless nation, against people who, against whom I or with whom I am angry. Assyria will, Assyria will plunder them, trampling them like dirt beneath its feet. But the king of Assyria will not understand that he's my tool. His mind does not work that way. His plan is simply to destroy, to cut down nation after nation. He will say, and he'll have all these, you know, great boasts. And, and then that, you know, and, and you then picked up as we were doing our reading, in the boasts, 
uh, of Assyri, who doesn't understand his role in history, right? Really distorted vision of himself. And that's then when God comes back with the part we did read. But can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it, right? The, the way that I, that I end up receiving this, that it really challenged me, it changed me, is sometimes I'd see whatever things in my life seem to be the source of my consternation. Whatever was oppressing me, hurting me, that's the problem. And, and what I read here is God saying, okay, because and that's, of course, how Israel would have felt. You know, who's the problem? The Assyrians. The Assyrians are the problem. We got to figure out how to defeat the Assyrians. And I think what God's trying to say here is the Assyrians are not your problem. They're, they're just nothing but my tool. Like, I happen to be using the Assyrians as the club. I could as easily pick up the Babylonians. And by the way, I will. Uh, you know, I could as easily pick up the Persians. I can pick up anybody I want. Don't pay attention to the club. Pay attention to the person who's holding it. And, and I realized that in so many of these things where, you know, I would be upset and, you know, thinking my, my battles against flesh and blood, right, to use the New Testament reference, that, you know, I, I had to somehow kind of figure out how to outsmart or, or, or evade them, realizing what I was really doing in the process was missing God. God is in some of these things. And so the real question I have to have is, is hold it, is there, is there a way that maybe God is actually the one I need to contend with here, right? That, that there's something going on in my life that actually God may be using these unjust people who have no, they don't have any of my own development and holiness in mind. They're not interested in my Christian maturity, but God isn't. Could God be using some of these obstacles to help me actually be free of these things, to be healed, to turn from my sin, to cling to God, to, to, to repent of some of these, these self-destructive patterns? And once I started to see, oh, I, I actually have to do business with God about all of these things. And it could be, hey, God's trying to get my attention to something that I need to fix. Or it could be God saying, hey, I'm the one you can trust even in the middle of suffering, right? The, either way, the one that I have to do business with is God, not these human kingdoms, not these you know obstacles, whether it's, you know, the creditor that's breathing down my neck or the school that you know, wouldn't accept me into their program, even though I'm sure it's exactly what I ought to be doing. You know, I, I don't need ultimately to fight with the admissions officer. The admissions officer is not my problem, right? The loan officer at the bank is not my problem. God is the one I, I can do business with because God can do all things, right? The heart's, heart of princes is in his hand, right? He turns it, it, it like a river this way or that as he pleases, we read, right? God is the one who ultimately has this authority and so by skipping all of these other people, I tend to get kind of worked up about and just going straight and saying, God, can you and I talk about this? What do I need to learn? What do I need to see? What does it look like to follow you? I don't want to get involved in these silly worldly battles. Uh, that actually was a real kind of uh, a moment of change for me, realizing that you know these other people I think of as so powerful in my life, and they may even think that they're so powerful in my life. And they may have malicious intent, like we see here, right? The king of Assyria clearly has malicious intent. And yet they can't touch me without God's permission. And that has been such a liberating, sobering sometimes realization. Uh, and, and yet has allowed me then to, to, to grow in places where I might have just fallen into frustration, despair, 
pity parties, self-defense, you know, justifying sin and retaliation for sin. I can see so many other paths I could have taken, but this, this passage really uh, spoke to me. And there are many times, in, even in prayer, when I'm frustrated with somebody, I've actually thought back to this particular passage. Just went, okay, whoa, time out. This person, this event, this is the club that God is using. Don't worry about the club. Worry about the one who's wielding it. Deal with the one who's, who's wielding it. As you're talking about that, it reminds me of uh, Joseph when um, he's sold into slavery by his brothers out of their jealousy. And eventually uh, they come back together and there's a, a reconciliation of sorts. And uh, Joseph says to them, you know, because they're afraid, like, here's this guy. He's got a lot of power now. And if he's going to think in a worldly way, he could decide to crush them all. But instead, he says, what you intended for ill, God intended for good. That's one of the amazing things about our God is that our God can take things that are evil and turn them in, turn them toward good purposes, even if the person doing that still doesn't have good purposes, that God can overcome um, overcome evil with good. That, that's the amazing thing about our God. Amen to that. John, I think it's a perfect place to stop. Why don't you close us in prayer? I'd love to. Uh, our good and gracious God, help us to learn from these examples, the mistakes that these people made that are recorded here for our benefit, the ways that people had ungodly motives or the ways that people refused to trust you, the ways that people put their faith uh, in their fears rather than putting their faith in you to pay attention to the club rather than the hand that wields it. Lord, in all these things, the ways that we have taken our eyes off of you, the way that we have taken our eyes off of the fact that you passionately, intensely love us and are committed to us. And it's in you that we can find true life and security. Lord, I pray that uh, you would use these scriptures and use these promises and these warnings, Lord, that you would use the power of the Spirit in our lives and the example, especially of Jesus and how Jesus trusted you through all these kinds of situations to look always to you. Lord, use all of this in our lives to change us, to transform us, to, to help us to follow in the path of Jesus, to walk faithfully during such trying times as that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're so glad you joined us for another week, and we look forward to seeing you next week as we pick up this, uh, this book of Isaiah and hear more of God's wisdom and God's promises in these pages. See you next week.